Welcome back to the channel on Batman podcast. I am your co-host Kyle with Justin as well. And today we have a very special guest. We are being joined today by the amazing Mark Hughes to do part one of our commentary on the Joker movie. So thank you, Mark, for joining us on the podcast. I We were having a text exchange the other night about doing this audio commentary for the Joker. And I said, you know, it's bizarre that the Joker, directed by Todd Phillips, hit a billion at the box office, won all these awards. Like it was out of left field. What What do you make of that, Mark? What do you? Wh- it seemed like it was like this weird brush fire, and it just like as the embers continued to burn, it just kind of like just kept going further and further and further. Yeah, I, I think you're right. That's, you're dead on. That, that's I think that's one of the keys, uh, the key things that made the film as big as it was. It became a must-see movie because there was so much controversy beforehand and everyone talking about it. I mean, it, it's a, first of all, it's a great film and it's great performances. So on its merits, it 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 won praise and excuse me and won Oscars because it was so good. So on its merits, it earned that. But also, you know, realistically, we all know it's the Joker. It's tied into Batman. Heath Ledger made the Joker instantly a one of the great all time, most beloved uh, cinematic characters. Uh, and he did that. The Joker already was that, uh, you know, was popular. But Ledger really made it a modern kind of zeitgeist. Uh, and I think this movie built upon that. And then, so the quality of the movie and the fact that it's the Joker and Batman, that was enough to me already going in thinking, you know, I thought it's going to top 500 million. It's going to be a big blockbuster. But I thought 500 million and we'll see how much higher than that it goes. I did not, honestly, I would not, I did not think a billion. And if you'd asked me, is it going to do a billion? I would have said, no, I don't think there's a chance that, I don't think there's a chance that an R-rated movie of this nature as serious and dark as it is even though it's batman the time of year everything else i I would not have thought a billion was realistically in the cards i thought it i thought you know privately it might do in the 800 million range it had a shot at doing that and maybe doing something on but i never thought a billion was it and what made it a billion dollar movie was what you said that's what put it over a billion in my opinion it became so talked about and so controversial. The buzz, everybody felt like this is one of the movies you just, well, you've got to see it. You've got to go see it. You've got to see it, you know, in theaters. So, And, and we, got, we were lucky enough to kind of see, you know, the script early. And we were able to, like, because it's Todd Phillips. Like, I mean, say what you will. Like, this is no disrespect to Todd Phillips. But when you think of Todd Phillips, you don't think of someone who is this like really cerebral, dark filmmaker. You think of uh, Starsky and Hutch, the Hangover films, War Dogs. But when when 
when it, it was kind of like proposed that Todd Phillips is going to direct this Joker that's going to kind of stand on its own and kind of be its own thing. And they're going to get Joaquin Phoenix. It's not going to use Jared Leto. It's not going to tie into the DC Cinematic Universe. You know, if you listen to our earlier episodes that we talked about this, it's like, we don't need this. Why are they doing this? They're going to shit all over the Joker. But then when we saw this script early, we're like, wait a second here. Hold up. Like, it was just, you know, obviously the script was very much the script that we saw was very much a blueprint. It wasn't the finalized version of the script, but the script that, you know, we did see had the, had the bones and a lot of the meat on it. A lot of the flesh was still there. Yeah, it's definitely the, this, the film, the, the, the script that we saw and we talked, uh, you know, about it uh, back and forth quite a bit before the film came out and before I saw the movie, uh, and the script, it definitely evolved and changed uh, over time. And the film we got and the final draft of that script was clearly better than the first draft. And a lot of what's on the page, the way it looks on the page is good, but how it plays out in the film is tremendous, you know, uh, uh, much better, I would say. And the script was already damn good and we liked it. And, but, and as you said, the meat and the bones were already right there on the page. And it was definitely not, uh, and this is, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I'll just be honest about it and say that uh, Todd Phillips, if you told me Todd Phillips was going to write and direct a movie that I would watch and think, this is, I don't think that Scorsese directing this movie could have resulted in a better movie, frankly. I don't think that it, I think that is about the best praise I can give to Todd Phillips and to make up for saying, I did not think you had it in you, dude, but this, I won't underestimate him again. You know, this is comparable. And we talked about this too. I think that the difference between his previous work and then this movie is like looking at, it's like how I felt when I first saw Mad Max Fury road. Mm -hmm. I liked the other Mad Max movies. Don't get me wrong, but George Miller, nothing he did before, Fury Road remotely prepared me for the quality of the writing and the directing and the editing. What he pulled off in that, it was like, where can I curse on this, right? Yeah, of course you where can. Where the fuck did this guy come from, and what have you done with the other George Miller? Same thing here. It's you know, essentially, I had the same kind of reaction. And like, and and it's a movie that is. I don't throw this around because it could be considered hyperbolic, but it is a modern-day masterpiece. There's so many great images in that film. There's so many great moments and scenes, and Joaquin Phoenix is always threading that needle, whether or not he is this or isn't this, but but he's able to really have a tour de force of a – portrayal and he is i think me and kyle talked about this when we did our review i think he's in every single scene in Mm. this film i don't think there's a scene in this film where he is not in and i don't remember the last time i've gone to a movie where i've seen that like he was all there in the spades so no pun intended but he was all there and like you know the hard work that was put in I'm like, it's one of those films that he was always really there. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. 
but it's just like one of those films that uh, that sticks with you. You're thinking about it, and I was watching it again the other night, and I'm just like, when you get to like the, the end where they're playing that music and everything, where the Joker the verse is like, God damn, like this is like it earned it. It earned like it like everyone doesn't. There there's some vocal critics of the Snyder verse that said it it you know his films kind of rush. He didn't earn, you know, Batman versus Superman and Justice League, where I would say the Joker 100% earned all that. Like, it went somewhere. It did something. It had something to say. It's not only, like, it's not only just a commentary on the 80s. It's not just a commentary on, you know, the social contract. It's It's a commentary on so many other things that we as people are talking about and it it's like like I said it's a modern day masterpiece in my opinion so I I would argue also that uh the the team that they put together for this I mean first of all the Joaquin Phoenix there's not there aren't many actors that can carry an entire film on their shoulders like that I mean there are great actors there are plenty of actors that I love and think are great and who do tremendous performances, but this was a movie. It makes me think of, and this is a weird comparison, but Castaway. Tom Hanks had to carry an, that movie, even though it's bookended with portions where he had supporting cast. Most of that movie, the the you know the the bulk of it and the primary story of that film is him on that island, and he's by himself, no one to act off of no one else but except a fucking soccer ball <laughs> and he I did mean, it and he carried it and that's the same thing in this movie everything you see is through his perspective and Joaquin Phoenix had to be not only his delivery but physicality and that's one of the things that we talked about a little bit when I had the I, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to talk to him about it and how the character so much of the performance is the physical aspect of it and how he just his reactions the nonverbal reactions and his movements and his body he portrays he looks like there's a monster inside him trying to crawl its way out of his bones and it's Mm -hmm. you can see it in his spine you know when his when he's leaned over in one of the scenes and he's hunched over and he's so skinny his ribs and his spine are sticking out it almost looks like an alien like from the movie Alien, it look, almost looks like one of those creatures like trying to come out of his skin. It's really mesmerizing to watch, and there aren't many actors that can pull that off. I mean, Tom Hanks did do a good job being quarantined on an island. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andy was right. good in Castaway, too. Yes. <laughs> he did you did you I know we're about to push play on uh on this joker film did you did you see him as uh mr rogers do you mean did i imagine it or did i did i could i envision it or do you mean did i literally watch the movie did you watch the movie i have not unfortunately i have not seen the film yet and uh that's it's on we have a short list of things to watch now that we're you know here in the house for the rest of the year with nothing to do and nowhere to go uh, and I will see it because I'm a big Mr. Rogers fan, obviously, and I'm a big Tom Hanks fan, but I have not I've not seen it yet. I highly suggest it. So if you want to get into my voodoo account, I will de- give you like seven <laughs> days 
for you to, <laughs> to jump on my voodoo. Just don't be purchasing uh, X-rated material, Mark. I get, I get my X-rated material for free. <laughs> I've got a... I, <laughs> I have a, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll probably end up buying it on just on Voodoo. I any movie if I watch a movie and I like it, I just buy it. it, it you mm-hmm. know, so I, I will probably eventually do it. But I appreciate the offer. But, uh, so Voodoo, oh. don't shut off our accounts, Voodoo. We're kidding. <laughs> yes. They're like buy that triple X stuff first. I'm like, oh god. Ah, uh, they're probably okay. <laughs> Business is booming right now. 4K pornos. <laughs> all right kyle do you have anything to say about the joker before we jump into it i am excited to rewatch this i actually haven't seen it since it was in theaters wth wth kyle we are currently sitting we're currently sitting at the triple zeros on our copies of the movie so if yes. you guys listening and want to follow along we will go ahead and hit that play button from the very beginning in three Two, one, go. And I was watching Argo the other night, and they had the same Warner Brothers logo, and I love it. The retro yeah. one, yes. Yeah. So I like good. The, I really like the retro effect of that. And I like, by the have y'all, did you uh, end up watching uh, King of Comedy and Taxi Driver? I hmm. saw it years ago. Uh, it's it's I've I've watched them both a lot. I love King of Comedy is not one of the more popular Scorsese films, uh, Scorsese films. But I just found out I've been pronouncing his name because I'm a redneck hillbilly. I've been mispronouncing <laughs> his name. But Scorsese is that a, is a lip hair, Joaquin Phoenix? Is that a lip hair I'm, hair I'm seeing? <laughs> Unacceptable. <laughs> what? The... Yeah, watch King of Comedy. If you get a chance, watch King of Comedy and Taxi Driver and then rewatch Joker and you'll be like, ah, you know, a movie I watched back to back the other night that I was like, oh, my God, these movies are really similar. Terminator 2. And then I watched The Dark Knight. I was like, oh, (laughs) shit. You need to watch like they're so weirdly similar. Okay, I I guess I've never made that connection before. But yeah, I definitely recommend watching uh, King of Comedy and Taxi Driver. They're they're worth at least one viewing at some point in your life. Yeah, just just for the absurdity of it. I love the score to this movie. Is yeah, so fucking good. Yeah, Hilder Guanatier, however you pronounce her last name. Like just his mannerisms in this, and I love their Gotham City too. And like it feels like a Baltimore meets a New York meets Gotham City. This is, you know what else it actually makes me think of, and I was just talking to somebody about this movie is the streets of San Francisco, which if you want, if you're if you dig seventies old seventies, it was a TV movie, but it's terrific. Uh, Michael Douglas uh, is in it, so uh, like uh, the real Michael Douglas or Michael Keaton? Huh? <laughs> what? You know, Mike, Michael Keaton's real name is Michael Douglas, right? Oh, I had didn't. Okay, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I love when he's running too. <laughs> you, you see him running, and then he does like this slide to kind of stop himself. Like yes. r- it's coming. I love that. I was like, man, how did he do that? It's a. There's a lot of Bugs Bunny esque, like that physical again, the, the physical comedy stuff that he does. Uh, 
here where he does the slide, and then at the end when he's, you know, the back and wood. Right there. So good. <laughs> he threw him. He absolutely was determined to make his body like a plastic Gumby doll, like the Joker in the comics, just completely distorted and twisted and weird. Right, for sure. Almost inhuman-like. He's beat up here, which is sad, and then he kind of just, like, sits there and, like... Do you think, like, do you think this has been going on for quite some time, or do you think this is just the beginning of his fall into madness? If you guys had a guess. Oh, I think he's been crazy. His, I think the point of the movie and what eventually, I think it sets you up to think like, did this really happen? For example, cause there's hints cause you'll see, and I'll try to remember uh, where it is when we're watching, but there's a piece of the broken sign in his apartment later. So hmm. when the guy says, they said I you didn't see took that. the sign and he's like, why would I take the sign? That wouldn't make sense that, you know, when he's like, why would I do it? Well, because you're batshit crazy. Cause you're the <laughs> joker. He's always been crazy. He's always been crazy. That's kind of, I think, the idea behind it is this is who he is. And he finally comes to admit that, you know. And I love this, like, this, like, tick that he has. It's, like, almost where he laughs. Like, it's almost like a Tourette's kind of thing. And, like, he kind of, like, cannot control it. He just, it's, like, consuming everything. Like, like I'm, I have the subtitles on. It says, like, he's wheezing. He's, like, like... It's just like everything is it's kind of like like he's like he's like having an asthma attack yeah. as he is laughing as like he's choking. sitting this scene would have played a lot better if on the other side you know where he's talking to the therapist is really Alfred and he, uh you know he Arthur, Arthur Fleck goes you know, this world kind of gets, you know, seems to be getting crazy and crazier out there. And then Alfred goes like, well, one time when I was in Burma, there, <laughs> there was there was a guy who had rubies the size of a tangerine. God, God not the story again. And <laughs> never. Uh, I like that Bruce never reacted. Bruce at no point was like, wait, before you were my parents' waiter, you were like some sort of assassin in Burma? What the fuck? There's no <laughs> moment where Bruce is ever like, what did you do, Alfred? There's no shock at all. Alfred, these different things in his history, like, what? <laughs> it was like, you're Alfred, a mercenary in Burma? <laughs> what? And now you're you now you're my waiter? What? <laughs> the size of a tangerine. I'm just like, what the hell does that mean, Alfred? If I'm Bruce at that point, I'm like, Alfred, what the hell are you talking about, you old bastard? <laughs> this whole now the beginning of this movie, I love we see him as the clown. He's playing the clown character the first time we see him. He's we mm-hmm. see him in the makeup. Forcing himself to smile and crying. So you get the mix of the clown and the pain. Then we see him as the clown, just the clown. Then we it, that scene ends with him in pain, transitioning into him, not the clown, in pain, laughing painfully, and then into the... So there's a whole weird kind of like flow to the way that he's introduced in these scenes. Like you're, you're seeing like many different versions of him. Exactly. And the, the more that I watch it, the more I feel like, like even this right here, like is all 
a manifestation of him him being an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like whenever like whenever he is not being truthful, you see him pull this big smile. So like, and then like he talks about being in the hospital. So he like this could be him in a hospital right actually right now, and he's just There's telling talk. Uh huh. <laughs> And he's telling the therapist in the hot in the mental institution about this thing that never actually happened. Well, the, there's there's so many like it, at one point I convinced myself, OK, when she says, do you remember why she's talking about everything that happens in this movie? We're <laughs> seeing him right here talking to her. The breakdown and him becoming the Joker, all that stuff. Did that already happen? At mm-hmm. this moment in the movie, mm-hmm. or what? You know, there's so much playing with time, but you can drive yourself crazy trying to think too much about that shit. I, I think that. that's what <laughs> I think that's what the Joker wants us to do is drive us <clears throat> crazy, right? And it's he... the point that he's an, not only an unreliable narrator for us; he's an unreliable narrator for himself because he can't mm-hmm. control he can't control his own environment around him, and he can't control himself. There's no this is all a complete lack of control, and when he becomes the Joker. It's about giving in entirely to the monster inside him so that he he loses complete control of himself in order to gain control of his environment, finally. Because he's never going to control himself, so the only hope he has of any form of control is to control externally. And, like, what's interesting is when anything ever negative happens to him, like, right here, right now, like, someone sounds like, hey, stay the fuck away from my kid, you creep. Like, he just has this, like, maniacal laugh, like, an uncontrollable laugh. And, like, every time I watch it, I've been noticing that anytime anything bad happens to him, I think the only time that I haven't seen that, I'm going to have to watch it again, is when his mom goes to the hospital. But, like, the actual, like, driving to the hospital. But, like, like any time I've noticed that anything bad is happening to him, like, his, like, tick goes off, like, his... Whatever his Tourette's just goes off when he just is uncontrollable. And I love the scenery here. <clears throat> Go ahead. What were you saying? Just that I I wonder in the original version of the script, he had the cut smile like from the Dark Knight. I don't know mm-hmm. how many people are aware of that, but he had the, you know, the the Chelsea smile. And I'm wondering if the opening scene of him stretching his mouth was kind of an alternate version and a stand-in for the idea of him having carved his face and having a carved forced smile on his face, so to speak. Um, I think they made the right choice not to give him that for the movie because I mm-hmm. think that would have been once that would have been one step closer toward the Dark Knight. And it's already there's a lot of similarities. You know, between like the- when he's in the police car at, and when he's in the police car and it's just on his face like that was like to me like a homage without being an homage to the Dark Knight at the end of the film. I love yeah. him walking to it in Gotham City at night like this kind of like like what I loved about, you know, Todd Phillips is that he kind of like took every important Joker moment and plucked them out and was able to really flesh it out into the story and he was able to take out bits and pieces of different gotham cities and because to me this feels like an updated version of the ant if like anton first was still alive and he was doing like a joker like this joker film like that's what it feels like to me 
just like with the with you know how they do the set design, the set decoration, the production design. So I'm most I definitely am most reminded of. Uh, I think there's a set. There's a very heavy uh, uh, the Scorsese influence is there, but I also think he looked at a lot. I think he must have looked at the conversation and the streets of San Francisco and uh oh what is the movie gene hackman's you know the gene hackman uh the french connection Mm -hmm. there's a lot of shots the shots of the bridges and uh, some of the street scenes and the the car sequences remind me a lot of those films and not kyle his overall look now that we're seeing this kind of like play out, what are, what are your thoughts on his look? Because he kind of looks like he kind of looks like everyone's grandpa. Like just like <laughs> look at like the sweater he's wearing. Right. Like, very, like seriously. Uh, and I was watching the behind the scenes. He's kind of like they even said he's like we kind of made him want to look older. Like he kind of looks like Mister Rogers. Like with that sweater. Like I'm not joking. <laughs> or like a worn out Mister Rogers sweater. Yeah. Like he's definitely um harken harken to the idea that love his. Clothing is probably hand-me-downs. Maybe they actually were his his grandfather's or whatnot, right? Or family members. So I think they did a really good job with the the costuming in uh, in this in this whole movie. Like everything seems to be quite spot on for not not, not not just the era that they're trying to invoke, but just like the general feel and atmosphere of the whole movie. What were you say, Mark? What did y'all think about the when you first heard that Joaquin Phoenix was cast? Was what was your reaction to it? Like, we, I think we're all like excited, but we're just like, we don't need this. Does that make sense? Like, this isn't needed. Like, we were all like, I'm like, can we just get, can we just pluck him out and replace him, replace the Jared Leto version and put him in Birds of Prey? I mean, the Harley Quinn movie. I mean, what is that movie? Birds of Prey. <laughs> oh yeah, you're making a joke. I get it. <laughs> Man, it feels like it's been forever since that movie came out. It, it's because yeah, it's, it's a lot's happened since April ninety eighth or something. What is the date? <laughs> <laughs> every day okay, is so, a thousand years now. And so we're reliving Groundhog Day every day. Uh. But Bill Murray's not a tour guide. I meant to. Did you notice on his mailbox? I don't know if it was intentional or not, but his name Fleck, the way it's written, it looks like it says fuck. Because the L, oh. yeah, the L and the 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 way that it's the L and the E are clo- so close together and written. I don't know. I'm sure it wasn't intentional, but there's a couple of moments where it says a fuck. It looks like it says a because it's just a. It doesn't say Arthur, which is initial. It says a fuck. It looks like it says a fuck. Like he I have two observations. So observation one is he kind of looks very effeminate in this, like right now, like Arthur does in this in this moment, like like not all of his buttons or he just for whatever reason, I'm not trying to make like some social. I'm just saying, yeah, like, I, here's what I'm seeing on screen. I think it was intentional. And, like, yeah. and uh, and like nobody is has given Robert De Niro any credit like that i've seen like everyone kind of talks about joaquin phoenix but the seminal moment in this film would not have been as great without a strong 
lead like Robert De Niro. Like if you put somebody else in that role who's not as experienced to play those moments, like you're not going to have the same effect. And Robert De Niro, even right here, even right here, as he's playing like this Johnny Carson meets Conan O'Brien type of a character, um, you know, Jay Leno, David Letterman, like there's an amalgamation of all of them, but like he's able to like really bring something to every scene that he's in, even if it's like 30 seconds long. Like when he's even when he's doing like the like the middle of the film where he's kind of like talking bad about Arthur, like even yeah. that 30 seconds, that brief moment like plays up the emotions and look at if we're right now we're Ooh. looking at like how skinny Joaquin Phoenix is and like he's shirtless, he's bruised. This is kind of looks incredible like, moment. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of looks like it kind of harkens back to that scene at the beginning of the dark night where you see Bruce take his shirt off and there's like the bruises on his back like that. Yeah. So it's like everyone that, does that so well in this movie. Mm-hmm. How he and, this, uh, him, I don't even know like what's he doing pulling on that boot well it's it's crazy and you don't know why he's doing it but <laughs> it provides that opportunity for that shot behind him and it's the way his spine popping out and everything else it's all just a little like like there's something inside him there's a some sort of weird thing inside him a creature an alien or whatever trying to fight its way out and claw its way out of him and he can barely keep it inside and like, and like the, another thing that I really appreciate about the film is the dialogue and how Todd is able to really play up on the dialogue in moments. And there's subtleties in the way that he writes his dialogue. You know, uh, you, and the, even when he, you know, otherwise you're going to get fucked. You know, like that, that's a double entendre there. Like yeah. he's get, he literally handing him a gun. He's like, you need to use this to protect yourself or you're going to get fucked. Like that to me is like such a like there's to me when I'm seeing it, like now that I've seen it play out, like it's definitely many different versions. And I have to say, when I went and saw this film, it was the very first night. There's police at my there's a police officer at my theater and a dude comes in. No joke with a backpack. So the entire movie, I'm like, like. One, like, I'm in this movie, but I'm also, like, what's going on outside? So, yeah. I didn't act, I, I didn't see uh, the only time the, I saw it at the, the screening, the, the advance advance screening, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't, I'm not even allowed to say the date of because it's, but then we saw another screening. We saw, like, an, a regular, like, press screening. And then I saw it, the only time I saw it in theaters with an audience, uh, my, my wife and I went, and we went to a theater here, uh, the, used to be the Sundance Theater, now it's the AMC 5 on Sunset 5, and it's a smaller theater, so we didn't have that same big mass audience experience that a lot of y'all had, and there wasn't like a police presence or anything like mm-hmm. that, it was... The, the there wasn't that and i kind of wish i had seen that just to have known what was it like being there for that and for that kind of you know it's uneasy paranoia and it's the, a, yeah it was uneasy very it was very uneasy it was very disturbing and like literally i'm not joking i'm not making this up a dude walked in with his girl with a backpack 
And look, look, <laughs> look, here's another moment. Like, bad yeah. things are happening. And he just keeps smiling, and his smile just gets bigger and bigger. We're at the – I'm at the 18-minute <laughs> second mark where the, we see yeah. Joaquin Phoenix, Arthur Fleck, just getting this bad news, and, he, and he's just smiling. And then now he's kicking the trash. And I like how they well, play up the trash. Nobody's don't know what he's kicking. They keep it off screen. Is it the trash, or is it is there a homeless person laying there? Ooh, you don't know what he was doing. Because look down, look beside him. You can't quite tell what the hell that is necessarily, and it's hidden on purpose. That's I love the fact that so there is no camera angle or shot in this movie that what well, everything's intentional. And I know that sounds obvious and trite, like well, every angle is intentional. There's layers and there's me, there's stuff behind it. Even the little things, it's why, for example, when I see that, oh, well, the name kind of it, when the camera pulls back, it looks like it says a fuck. When he opens his mailbox, there's nothing in it, and it's, oh, there's nothing, and then a fuck, like, don't give a fuck. Is that intentional, or am I reading into it? Probably reading into it, but you don't know for sure, because everything seems to have a possible other meaning and intent in this thing. And I and appreciate like, the hell out of that. And I like, I appreciate too the the with the Zazzy Beats character that they had because in the script version that I read, and I don't know if you read this in your script, but he comes in and kind of what sets him off is he sees her with another dude, and that kind of like spirals him out of control. So yeah, she's so gorgeous. Like there is something about her. There's just like this. Old Hollywood classic, like, vibe I get from her. She's gorgeous, absolutely stunning. Like, she's just, like, no, like, I know they have makeup on, but she's made to look like she's just, like, unkempt, just got out of work, dealing with her daughter, but still a beauty. And then you see Arthur, you know, make that, and she's smiling, even though I don't think that that is an actual true thing that happened. I think this is a manifestation. This I take as real because it's him thinking, like, we see her reaction as, like, you know, okay, it's just a weird guy in her hall that was kind mm-hmm. of awkward. Mm-hmm. But he clearly takes it as more. He smiles and thinks they made a connection. And to her, it's like she probably can't just, she just wants to get the hell out of there, give a polite smile to acknowledge and get the fuck on with her kid and get in her mm-hmm. house, her apartment. <laughs> And like, isn't it disturbing that he's bathing his mother? Yeah, doesn't it? Does it remind you a little of remember the old lady in the tub in the shine in the shining? Oh movie? God, yeah. yes. That the <laughs> yes. scene when it comes up behind her for a minute and she's there like that with her, and he's pouring the water before the close up when her back's to us in the oh, that first moment we see it, it. I I almost wondered, and again, you know, I don't want to read in stuff that's not there, but I almost wondered. Was it intentional? Was it supposed to remind us of that? She's so freaking good in this movie, too. She doesn't get enough praise for the job she does. She delivered to that line. A lot of people would have delivered that line heavy-handed or a little. She, when she says, don't you have to be you know, funny? The way, the way she just says that, matter of fact, and like there's no malice to it. It's She's just kind of dismissive. Like, yeah, and, and but doesn't realize that what she's mm-hmm. she's not even necessarily recognizing that there's any subtext to what she said that's kind of mm-hmm. insulting to him at right. all. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful. Her whole performance is just lovely. I really, really appreciate that. 
Wait, this is this? No, never mind. Even right now, just watching us, I feel just so much tension in the air, just waiting for something to happen. And, yeah. and like, I know that she won the Academy Award for Best Score, but still, her score is so haunting and so incredible, and it hits the right motifs and just all those things. Like, I can't say enough praise. Like, it's one of those things that is gonna like this film is gonna be like talked about. Like the Dark Knights talked about, like the Shinings talked about, like Psychos talked about. It's going to be one of those films that you haven't seen that film yet. Oh my God, you got to watch that film. It's been out for how long? You know, I appreciate that a lot of people, and this scene makes me mindful of it, a lot of people that before seeing the movie had already determined that they knew what it was. And I understand, I'm going to say, I understand some of the concerns, that the reasons that people had, even though they were mistaken. I understand why there were some people that initially had some concern about what this movie might be because of what they'd heard in advance and from the trailers. I got, even though it was wrong and they should have at least been willing to to listen and consider a little bit more when those of us who'd seen it were trying to explain and say, it's not what you're going to be surprised by. It's not exactly what you think. And I appreciate that a lot of people, when it came out and then they saw it and were like, okay, no, that wasn't what I thought. And that was a lot of, you know, a lot of hyperbole and a lot of unnecessary concern. And I love this guy from Steady. I'm sorry. Keep going. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. I love it too. Yeah, it's absolutely, I agree. Yeah. And like, and this is, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, go, go right ahead. I was going to say, I'm like, gonna... this. This this sequence to me, did you ever see Unbreakable with yes. uh, Bruce Willis? Like the hood and everything, how that shot, I'm just like, it brings me back to Bruce Willis and Unbreakable. Kind of him walking around That's with the hood point. up. Like, it's even the t- even the color scheme of it, it even mm-hmm. has the, that kind of blue color coding mm-hmm. to it. Uh, the sensibility right there. I get what you're saying. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that. Good call. <laughs> Good catch. And, like, that's, it's weird. It's, like, this movie came out in 2019. And, like, we've had the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We know we had the Deadpool movies. We had X-Men. We, you know, we had, you know, the DC Cinematic Universe. And for whatever reason, like, I was afraid audience... W- I felt like audience would go see this film, but not to where it was, like, a billion-dollar movie. Because this is, like... There's, like, no action. It's just an old-style movie where they're... We're seeing a dude sitting at a comedy store or a comedy show writing notes down, and he's laughing as a comic is telling a joke. And you're just getting to see – like I appreciate Warner Brothers. Like there's a, there's not a lot of times where I appreciate Warner Brothers. Like Kyle and Mark, you know, like I, I shit on them all the time because of stupid decisions. But I do appreciate that they actually went – and said, you know what? Here's the budget. Go make your movie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I remember when movies used to be carried by characters instead of set pieces and action. Mm-hmm. Like, Did I like... Know, is he the only person... He's the only person in that in that uh, club in the last... In the, the scene. He's the only one alone, I think, in it. He's the only uh-huh. person sitting by themselves, I believe. I'm not 100% about that. So somebody's going to... I'm sure be like, no, there was one other person in the corner who was by <laughs> the fucking selves 
so therefore nothing you say counts anymore. But I think he, he appeared to be, uh, and I should kick myself for not having paid more attention to that this time. Is he in every scene in this film? Like for real, that's a real question. It depends. Not technically he's in every sequence, not literally every scene or every shot, but he's in, Mm. I guess. Yeah. I would say he's probably in every scene, uh, in a, in a, in a general sense. That smiley face that he drew. So that smiley face that he drew at the end of the film, after, you know, the, the sequence where he kills that dude right before he smokes that cigarette and he puts it out. He draws with the cigarette ash a smiley face like that. Like something that I don't know if anyone caught, but that's something I was watching the other night. I was like, God damn. Point that out later. If yeah, you, if you I, think about it. I, yeah, I want to remember. I want to remember to look at that because I don't think I, I did not notice that. Actually, no. Like it's literally. It looks exactly like that. It's a. It's like a clown face, like the, exactly, but it's in cigarette ash. Yeah, I've never noticed that one before. Like, everyone's just at the top of their acting game in this film. Like, everyone's just elevated. There's, I don't know, there's this weird, like, even when, you know, I was hearing, you know, like, our sources, like, like I had a few sources on set, like, there's just something different about this film. Like, everyone's just elevated, and I said that. And, like, I tweeted that out, and, like, people took that, ran stories about it. It was weird. But, like, everything that, you know, people were saying, like, actually came true. Like, Joaquin Phoenix gives, like, a Heath Ledger performance. This movie's going to be huge. It's different. It's dark. It's edgy. I, and I, if you're, even when he's, you know, dancing for children in a children's hospital, like, like no moment is wasted. None. Zero. And he's a good clown. Yes. I mean, honestly, he's good at what he does as a clown. Even when he's spinning the board, he's, he's does it. He's actually, Arthur's a good clown and he's good at it. (laughs) Which Joker's a good clown in his own way. You know, the character in general. So the only thing I wish this movie would have did is something that, you know, we got in the dark night was kind of like Joker viral marketing. Did you see the giant rat? (laughs) So many people <laughs> miss the giant rat in that scene that runs around the corner. I miss Remember it. Remember yeah. the, in the news, there's the it, it early in the film he's watching, and there's a thing about super rats on TV. When he's in the, that shot, there, there's a, a giant rat comes running around the corner, and then oh, see your cat noticed, didn't it, Kyle? Oh, she noticed. <laughs> she, she's she's looking real hard at the screen right now. She's looking at him right now. I saw her, her her eyes peeked up at first. I was like, is Batman there? No. That's <laughs> and this is one of the most disturbing scenes I've seen in a film in a long time. The scene of him on the subway and the aftermath of that as he's like, like it's almost like when the scene happens, it's unexpected. But I don't think he goes after that guy to shut him up. I think he goes after that guy out of, like, some, I'm finally getting my revenge, and I'm going to put it all out right now. Like, it was like he blew a gasket, and until, like, he finally had all relief. Like, he like he's a fire hydrant here. You know how sometimes when fire hydrants have too much pressure, the fire department comes out and just lets them run for, like, 20 minutes? Like, that's what this is, to me, anyway. I think he follows that guy because he killed those other guys and now that's somebody afraid of him and he feels power and he enjoys it. 
he enjoyed be, those yes. guys are dead and that's you know at the end when he says the truth is i enjoyed it i did it because i enjoyed it he's the monsters out and he he killed he initially shoots supposedly based on from his unreliable narrator standpoint these guys attacked him and somehow this young guy just happens to know all the words to send in the clowns. Kind of weird. So there's <laughs> very a, strange. Is, is that maybe not real? Is he hallucinating this because he's crazy and is just imagining it? You notice that suddenly there's the the darkness cutting in and it's flickering and stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe the guy didn't. You know, it's hard to know. But taking this at face value, they these guys attack him. He shoots. And kills him, and suddenly that guy's running away. He, if he just was angry, I think he would have stood there and kept shooting. He follows that guy and watches him, and he's walking. He's not even when he finally comes up to the guy. He's very, it's it's very kind of clinical. He's walking up slow and aiming and just shooting and shooting. I think he follows the guy and chases him because he's figured out he enjoys killing people. Mm-hmm. That's the moment when he he realizes it. Then he panics, the monster got out, and he's seen for the first time, oh my god, I got a taste for this. And then later he eventually goes ahead and gives in. Mm -hmm. Again, permanently. So that's, I think that's why he follows the guy. I don't think it's just a revenge thing, per se. I think it's as much about finding out that, you know, it's, he's telling himself and other people and everyone's interpreting his actions as having meaning, but the truth is, once he had an excuse and a supposed reason to lash out, he just likes lashing out. Oh my god, like, when I saw that, it was so unexpected. Like, I just thought I was gonna see Arthur get fucked up again. And then when he got, when he shoots him, like... Right, it's like, now Now this is the point where he had, he's got a taste for blood. And look at look at him. He's gonna, so he's gonna he's points the gun at himself. He thinks for a half a second that he's gonna shoot himself, and then he walks and he says, "No, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go get this guy." Like this is a film that that film schools are gonna show their students for the rest of time. Like it's that film. He just wants to kill, I and like he, he doesn't—he doesn't waver either. Like he doesn't put his doesn't put the gun down to his side and he's walking towards him. He continually has his arm extended, and the, like even now, like he's like clips gone. Like there's nothing left, and his arm's still extended. Now, like my version anyway, his arm's down. It's kind of like, it's kind of like he. It was like an uncontrollable thing, like, he, like he was kind of like an out of body experience. You know what they they like? They say that sometimes if you if you don't get out your aggression in some ways, when it finally builds up and explodes, like you kind of like go crazy and you can't that blind rage, I guess they call it. Like I've had that experience before. We you know I was dealing with a lot of stuff in high school. Like I didn't hurt anyone. I just punched a wall, but like I didn't even like I woke up out of it like. 
Oh my god, what did I just do? I think he's even there right now. Like he's in the he's in the bathroom, kind of like trying to figure out. I'm always looking at the graffiti because there's a scene where Joker is actually written in the graffiti on the wall when he's going home. In one of the scenes, it may have already happened, uh, and I would have pointed it out. But if you look when he's near the steps and when he's going around, going back and forth from home, it, there's uh, graffiti on one of the walls that says Joker. And like this scene right here is, I, I think this scene's the most iconic scene, especially that moment where the camera, his chin's up and it's bloodied. Yeah. And then you got the. It's just, it's just like this prime private moment between Joker and this bathroom, and that score is just howling. It's just it's just amazing. Like they don't do this in movies anymore. They don't allow private moments like this to happen. This mm-hmm. is it's the ecstasy and the the joy of the first kill that he's for the Joker. That's what this is. And that's that he has that, they talked about, you know, that he has this music inside him. It's one of the things that uh, Phillips and, and Phoenix discussed and how what the Phoenix wanted and thought for, you know, to, for this character. And it's, yeah, it's, our, this is the first time he's the Joker here for just a moment. Joker goes back in, but the Joker got out for a minute. And I love the way that's done. Mm-hmm. And this is, of course, why is he? Why does this happen? Why is he go, in his mind? Why is he imagining himself now stalking down that hallway and the woman that he wants? And he she, she opens her door and he kisses her and she embraces him and accepts him. It's a power fantasy, mm-hmm. and that's that's what the Joker again. It's he he lacked the ability to control his environment. He lacked the ability to control himself, and he let the monster out. And it's by giving in and losing all control. It's the only way he he comes to feel that he's controlling his environment. And the problem with that, obviously, is all he can, has inside himself is hate and aggression. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. I mean, even even Brian Callen. Brian Callen is a uh, he was in the hangover and he's in this, he's the dude who's shirtless right now. He even gives like a wonderful performance, even if it's so brief, like you can see, like after he punches the, this, the, when he punches the time clock, the timestamp, like that was, that was a, uh, that was an improvisational moment that he had. And everyone's like, Oh my God, I forgot to punch out. Which is such a I, joker I line, to say, I wonder if after they made it at any point, if anyone, if Phoenix or Phillips thought, why didn't I say I forgot to punch the clock? Because mm-hmm. that's, you know... The, the I love this, this... Don't... don't <laughs> I love that. And then he... And then he... He, he kind of, like, clicks his heels like Dorothy in Wizard of Oz. And he kicks the door open. I love that. So good. And then that's the last two, last two uh, pills for him, it looks like. It's not for him, though. That's the key. He's not taking his pills. He doesn't take his medication. Even though he says that to his therapist, he puts the meds in his mom's food. 
I missed that. I must have missed that. Yeah, he started into her food. He's been that's what he's been doing with his meds. Another example of, you know, it took yeah, it takes a couple of times seeing it to pick some of these things up all around, but yeah, he didn't take his meds. He's not taking his medication. Why do you think meds he gives go to his mom? mom? Why do, that's his, yeah. Why do you think he goes to his mom cuz his mom's insane? Yeah, well, I don't know. That's a good question. Is he giving it to her? Is that what, uh, did it keep her weak where she needs him to do everything for her? Was it because it helps moderate her stuff? Actually, now I'm thinking in this scene, is it his own food that he put it in right there? Maybe that's here because there's a scene when he's fixing her food. I thought he gave it to her in this scene. Maybe I'm mistaken. But he doesn't that like it's holds right in front next of himself, to him. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. He put it on the table in front of him. There's a scene when he brings her food. That I Man, thought. I wish this would have I wish this would have been Alec Baldwin though. Like if he would have taken this role as Thomas Wayne. But then she's but where's yeah. the is the bowl the bowl's the still bowl's there hurt. though. No, no, hold on. The, the ashtray. Right he has the ashtray in front of him. That's the ashtray. She's okay. got the bowl. Yeah, she's so eating. He's not. He put the bowl on the table, and she got the bowl and was eating. Yeah. Okay. So that's he's been he's feeding her the meds, and that's why I thought maybe when she has the stroke, it's because of the meds. And then I wondered, well, or is it because she isn't getting the meds anymore, or is he giving her the meds to make her weak, or is he giving her the meds to keep her sane? Because it's the only way she can maintain day to day. So, so he's even like this thing we're about the song too, where he's talking about. I heard the song the other day, and the the person singing or whatever was whoever was singing whatever whoever he's talking about the song. His name was Carnival, and that's my name, you know, at work. She's asked the same questions every week. How is your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? I love that when he says all I have is our negative thoughts. So interesting to hear him say, though, he never thought that he even existed, but he does. He's like going really deep here. It's great that the subtext of this is him telling her she never listens, but the fact is that he's not, he's completely not listening to her and hearing her. And in previous, their previous meeting, he didn't want to listen to her and didn't want to hear her and was doing his best to avoid answering her. And here he was not listening to her and she was repeatedly trying to get him to pay attention so she could tell him they've cut your, they've cut funding. You don't get to come here anymore. Interesting. But the fact is, she clearly wasn't listening enough to him because if she had been, she would have figured out long ago what a threat he was and just how batshit crazy, no pun intended, he really was. That I believe that was a pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and another thing, this is here. I feel like this is him kind of coming out as the Joker 
the kind of like a first glimpse of the Joker because this is the exact same from what I you know what I researched. I you know I watched all the featurettes. They said that this was the exact same uh, outfit that he wore when he was on the Murray Franklin show. Like I don't, it's not the same color. I don't think. But it's this. They they said they this was the very same outfit. So like me when I saw that, I was like, well, is this his first real outing as Joker? And he you know he sees uh, what the fuck's her name? Who? What's her character's name? I can never fucking remember it. Zazie Beats character. What's her name? I can't. I can never remember it. Isn't that like Sophia or something like that? Could be wrong. You guys know who we're talking about. It's so disturbing that he's just sitting there laughing at a joke he hasn't even told yet. Well, he's this is his nervous laughter. This is the supposed condition. That's not necessarily an actual condition. I think his nervousness and he's freaking out, but once he starts talking and he's imagining, once he focuses and starts talking and imagining that Sophie is in the audience. That's her uh, name. Sophie. Oh. Yeah. Uh, once he's looking at, and, and she's there in his mind, he's talking and telling it to her and she's laughing. And then you notice he doesn't have his nervous outbreaks anymore. Then mm-hmm. he's able to go on in his mind. Mm-hmm. And another thing that's interesting, he's, ta- he's talking of all the comedic right. things he See, could talk about. <laughs> he looked it, inside and... Yeah, it is. You're right. That is the that is the same outfit. That's the the vest to the suit. Mm-hmm. So I can't tell if the pants are, but it is. It's part. I don't of think the it's the same color, but I think it's. I think he might have like just did something, dyed it or something. Maybe I don't know. That the vest is. He's definitely wearing. That's the. It just looks different under this light, but when they show it up close, you can see it's that red, the same red texture. Mm-hmm. I'm colorblind, and I'm sitting here saying I can tell for sure what color this shit is. But. And what's interesting about the comedy he's telling. He's talking about his mother. Of all the things he could joke about, he's joking about his mom. Yeah. Man, and just how this thing was shot, too. Oh, my God. Like, the photography of this. Yeah, I love the focus a lot. The film constantly uses that which you know, creates that almost dreamlike perspective where everything, the background being entire, constantly out of focus and the colors blending and merging like that and just looking surreal. He sees a Joker clown and he just smiles. <laughs> I love that play, play up the garbage too. Like garbage is so interesting. And garbage was a big fucking part of new york city in the 80s uh was it 
yeah, this is a, it was a constant issue. Garbage strikes were when, when the, the, the sanitation workers would go on strike, the garbage would pile up and the city would smell so bad in the summer, it would become unbearable. And there's always, I don't, if you've, if you, I don't know if you've been to New York, but it's, you walk around New York, there's just stacks of garbage bags around a lot. It's cleaner now than it used to be, but in the eighties, especially even, TV shows and movies set in New York City that weren't even trying to make it look dirty or messy. There was still a shitload of garbage everywhere. A lot of red in this sequence, too. Murray's wearing red coat. Arthur's wearing red vest and red pants. Mom's wearing red. And, like, mom's obsessed with Thomas Wayne. Yeah. He's lying to mom. Do you think he, do you think he's lying to mom, or do you think he, do you think he truly believes he just got back on a date? Oh, he thinks, in a, at this moment, yeah, he thinks that he went on a date. He thinks everything went swimmingly at the comedy club. You notice as that scene fades out the audience is finally all starting to laugh and get into his, his, you know, routine that he's doing and in his mind, it all went well. But then of course we're going to see, you know, on the Murray Franklin show that it was a shit show. <laughs> it didn't go the way he thought at all. Was that a forever stamp on that? Did you notice by chance? Like a Batman forever stamp? No. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, but, but it's it speaks to there's a lot of stuff in the you know there's we said before and we, we've talked about it before that there's uh, there are hints in the movie that the time frame might not necessarily be it's set like it's in the eighties but is that because that's he's very into the old timey stuff he dresses very retro his act and his comedy is very retro is kind of like the old school vaudevillian type comedy. The Joker is like that in the comics and prefers the old movies and old black and white comedies and Buster Keaton and that kind of physical stuff. And there's a lot of that to the performance that Joaquin Phoenix gives. And it's, it raises the question, since this is all through the perspective of a deranged person and so much of it is hallucinatory anyway, is the movie itself is it really set in the eighties or is that just his mind and his perception of it is that kind of, well, I mean, cause you could argue even, and I thought, and it probably would have been too putting too fine a point on it, but maybe in his bedroom, if there'd been a poster of the King of comedy to kind of hint that the whole movie is kind of through that filter that he likes those movies. He likes that older era, that retro kind of stuff. Maybe the world to him looks like this when it's not. Because it looked like a, one of those, the forever stamps, the American flag forever stamps that you get nowadays that are, you know, they've only been making those in modern times. That's not something they had back in the 80s like that. I don't know. And what I love about the scene, too, is Arthur is super pissed at his mom because he watched Batman Forever. And at the very end, the cow <laughs> wobbles. <laughs> He's like, Here's Mom, why did you I'm always loving when I can pull that into anything. It's always a good time. <laughs> the ears wobbled. You ruin it. 
You gotta ruin it. <laughs> He's like, Mom, you fucked up the cow at Wobbles. Wayne Hall. Interesting. Another thing they kind of play up too is they play up that, you know, Arthur may not come for much, but he kind of like, he's got to have a little bit of money. Like he's got to be, I would say like semi-independently wealthy. He just comes and goes as he pleases, can go anywhere. He doesn't ever see, like other than he's like super skinny, but I think that's more of a manifestation. And I'm going to shut the fuck up now because one of my favorite scenes sequences is happening. So disturbing what's happening right now. I don't think he's independently wealthy. I think his, they, his mother gets checks and he pro- he might get a social security check for partial disability as well. But I think his mother does. But I definitely don't think he's I – w- I, I don't think that because they talk about money problems and how bad the conditions that they have to live in are. And Maybe. But that could also be his manifestation of being a bullshit artist. <laughs> I don't know how. I mean, like, I don't really think there's any way he'd. Be, I don't know how he would become independently wealthy. I, I don't see. I think he. I mean, he's riding public transit, and in you know, in we see him on the subway and on the bus, but and he mostly walks everywhere. So and, like, and we notice. I don't know how he'd get it. Robbing banks. Well, I don't see any. I, I don't see an, any indication of that in here. Uh, I think that kind of, I think a part of his delusion and just personal justification kind of relies on his notion initially that the world has shit on him because he be, precisely because he's one of the people that doesn't have anything and he likes to. And finally, he comes to terms with the fact that that's not true that he just likes to hurt people because he likes to do it. And that's the end big reveal to him, his big epiphany. What's weird is they're wearing the same colored coat too. Mm -hmm. Or same, like Bruce is wearing like a, like a sports coat, sports jacket where Alfred's wearing this. And like the scene's so disturbing at Wayne Manor. And he puts his hands around Bruce's neck. What the hell? Like, as a teacher, it's so disturbing. Then he puts his hands up, like, so weird. So disturbing. Kyle, why are you smiling? I am definitely not smiling right now. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it, bearded Alfred. Where's Australian Alfred when you need him? Oi! Like, it's so weird. Like, in an alternate universe, in, like, a regular universe, I would love to see the Joker and Alfred have a conversation like in a like live action film 
so weird. And then he grabs him by the throat. Oh my god. And might have killed him if Bruce, if he hadn't looked at Bruce and seen Bruce's reaction. Mm-hmm. But did this even really happen? Right. You know, oh. that's, again, is this just, is the whole movie just the Joker, is the joke, if, well, I don't want to get ahead of it, we'll talk about that later, sorry, <laughs> I'm jumping ahead. Let's talk about the end scene. <laughs> Shut up, Mark. There's a moment, so, uh, <clears throat> after the sequence, like, when they put, uh, Penny in the ambulance, and you see it going down, like, this, uh, tunnel, and it's just the lights and, like, the, that, and, like, the ambulance, uh, sirens playing, like, such a well-crafted and edited sequence. Like right here. Well, I'm I'm probably a little bit ahead of you, but like the ambulance in the tunnel is where I'm at. Now yeah, he's outside the he's in the emergency sitting outside smoking. And there's a no smoking sign right there. <laughs> <laughs> what are they gonna do? Arrest him for smoking. And Joker gives him out a nice merry chase. It's so weird that they knew that he was here at this moment of all the places to be in Gotham City. Well, they just took his mom. I think they were just coming to the ER because his mom just got taken there. And they know that he they probably found out that from the police at the scene that he rode in the ambulance with her so that he wasn't at home. They probably went to his house. He wasn't there. Then they came to the ER because this looks, and it was nighttime, so it's probably just a few hours later. No, it's all one big conspiracy. The uh, police department actually was responsible for his mother's. All, it's all they did probably give her the freaking <laughs> stroke by being like, hey, did your son murder people on the subway? And you got fake ass Andy Sipowitz right there. <laughs> Andy Sipowitz light. <laughs> He was a party clown. I love how says, can you imagine that? Yeah. It was great to go back. Oh, 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 I love it when he walks into it. Yeah. It's the out, dude. And they kick a man while he's down. <laughs> just like even how this sequence, when we get to that moment at the end of the film, just how he's like slunched over. 
and like she's kind of like in the background so to speak just even that just like like Todd Phillips you fucking genius I actually like that sweater he's wearing (laughs) (laughs) I like the texture and the pattern on it I was just looking that's I was kind of just for a moment kind of zoning out and thinking that's a really cool texture I wonder what that what that feels like (laughs) I want that (laughs) Arthur probably texted uh, Sophie. He's like, hey, I'm at the hospital. My mom had a stroke. And then, oh, yeah, this is the 80s. (laughs) Or is it? (laughs) So here's that sequence I'm talking about where it just, like, he plays it up just enough. Robert De Niro plays it up enough where it's, it's not campy, but it just if you get what I'm saying, like he plays it, yeah. you know. Dude, definitely watch uh, King of Comedy and see because Jerry Lewis is in that movie uh, and plays the guy, and Robert De Niro plays the crazy person that wants to be on the show and that threatens to kill him. Interesting. Yeah, I'll have to yeah. watch that. I'll probably run it tonight since, you know, I got nothing else to do. <laughs> The personality, the the portrayal that Robert De Niro does is very similar to the character and personality in, uh, which is intentional, obviously. It's like, I love this guy. I love this guy. It's funny. But he plays it like, like, I can't, like... And, like, he doesn't get enough credit because an unseasoned actor would really play it up and really be over the top where, you know, and De Niro makes those, you know, famous De Niro faces. But it works perfectly for what the character Murray Franklin is, this amalgam of every late night host that's ever existed. Yeah. We're at the one hour mark. I feel like that's a great place to call this episode in for the evening. So one hour, we are at the moment where Arthur is in bed. So we'll make a timestamp of that. And that is going to be it for us on that. So everyone, we're going to make sure that we get to this next week for sure. Um, Sounds good. But before (laughs) we take off any first hour thoughts on the first hour of joker uh well you know obviously i'm a big fan of the movie uh every time i watch it i find something new uh that that kind of jumps out at me like right now i've got it paused and he's laying in that bed and i'm looking at the wallpaper and i'm trying to remember wait was that does does that what it looked like before when we (laughs) saw it Right. Is it the same? You know, I'm not even so now I'm going to go back once we're done. I'm going to rewind and look and be like, what the fuck did it look like other time? But yeah, it's everything I, I really love. There's so much to praise about the movie, but uh, the production design in this film and the cinematography in this film and the score, uh, everything, it seems is just really so on point. And I know there are a lot of there are a lot of people who like the film and don't love it as much as I do and as much as the obviously the three of us are, are big fans and love this movie. But I when I watch it, this is one of those films that I just I can't help thinking, no matter whether you personally enjoy it or not, 
how I don't know how anyone could look at this and watch this film and not be impressed with the sh- just the, the artistry and the technical skill level that went into everything and how well it tells its story and the emotion. Everything in the scene reflects the emotion and the entire movie is all about Arthur and Arthur's emotion, obviously. And it comes through and it's it. This film would not have worked if they hadn't pulled that off. And I'm mindful of that every time I watch it, that it it was an all or nothing proposition when they made this movie. It had to work. It all had to be right. They had to hit it out of the park because hitting getting to third base wasn't going to do it. Get, you know, a base hit or, or whatever, nothing. I don't, I don't even know how to fuck up the sports metaphor here for this with what I'm saying, but it had to all, it just had to be a home run. And I think they hit a home run with this. Kyle thoughts on the first hour. Oh yes. I'm, I'm loving this. The, all the, the entire setup that they have going on here. Like we're, we're just now at the point where like, it's all, it's all downhill for, from here for Arthur Fleck. <laughs> about to get, it's about to get very interesting. Yeah, like what's what's interesting is it's like the tension is constantly building, but it's a slow, slow burn of tension because you see as Arthur slowly falls deeper into madness, the tension slowly rises. Not one's not outpacing the other. They're to me anyway. They're kind of meeting and merging at about mm-hmm. the same pace, and yeah. it's and it works perfectly. The, the, and like no one's giving the editor, you know, Todd, you know, I know Br- I, I saw an interview where Bradley Cooper said that he was in the editing room. Like uh, everyone in the editing room, like really, really did a good job to make sure that as the tension is rising, Arthur is slowly and more surely, you know, falling deeper and deeper into a psychosis. Yeah. So uh, first hour. Well, Jeff Groth is the, the film editor and abs you're, you're it absolutely deserves a shout out for a tremendous job. At the film editing in this movie is exceptional. And I think you're right. It really does his, he's already mad. He's already crazy. And as that craziness comes out, that it starts off tense. It's tense from the instant, the, the first shot of the movie mm-hmm. And it's that that tension and that restraint and trying to hold it in as it slowly starts to unravel and fall apart. So good. Like, I'm just, I'm trying to think like other things that I enjoyed about it, but like, I think, I think that's it. Like Kyle, where can we find you on the social medias? You can find me on Twitter at looting Kyle. And since Mark is quarantined in California, if you want to reach out to Mark, where would where, where be able to do that? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mark Hughes Films, and you can find me uh, at Forbes. I'm, I'm basically writing every other month at Forbes right now because they have this fucked up uh, law, AB5, that limits how many articles we can write as freelancers for an outlet. So I'm kind of just doing it every other month and uh, focusing on screenwriting. So, But I will be in April. Uh, this month I'll be back uh, doing regular articles at Forbes uh, again. So uh, stay tuned for that. Like anything on the horizon that we that you can tease? Or, or do you want to uh... – 
I've got, I mean, I've been, you know, I've got some projects, uh, screen projects that I've been, and, and TV projects I've been working on. I did uh, something, one that thing that's announced already that uh, uh, I worked on with uh, Jay Oliva uh, called Court of the Dead and with Sideshow Collectibles that'll be, uh, that's, that's something in the works. And uh, that's, a, that's a animated series. And then there'll be, uh, I have a, a actually a comedy film that I'm working on as a producer and story writer with a, uh, and hired a screenwriter to do that I'll be hopefully able to talk about in the coming months if that, uh, depending on if we're able to to pitch that if anyone starts actually making movies again anytime soon while <laughs> during this pandemic, uh, we'll see how that's going. So, uh, yeah. Uh, like it's got, weird we're, we're living a movie right now mark and kyle we're, it's like so surreal like every time i see someone in a mask like i just like this is so bizarre it's like we're living like the we're like living after the fact of the batman begins fear toxin or joker's smiling or like it's, it's so unfortunately going to I fear it's going to be a lot worse than that. And I'll tell you, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I've been sick and uh, I've been sick for six weeks now. And I'm just uh, doing this. This is the first thing that I've really done and been healthy enough to even talk for an hour uh, at a time to do. And uh, it's not it's don't fuck around with this virus because it is brutal and it feels like your body is on fire and uh, y'all can see. You saw what I look like right now. <laughs> I'm uh, I've I got I got in pretty bad shape, but I'm I'm recovering now. But everyone, seriously, take take it seriously. Stay home. Uh, don't go out. Wash your hands. Be careful. And whether you're young or old, this thing will this thing if it gets you, it's you, you could suffer bad. You know, it's killing young people as well as old people. So don't take any chances. Be safe, y'all. <laughs> 